May I request you to stand. Um, we will read together Psalm 127, which we are very familiar with. Uh, we read verse 1 and 2, and then I would like us to read Psalm 128, verse 1 and 2. And we'll be seated after that. Let's read together. One, two, three. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. Or watch in vain, excuse me. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Let's go to Psalm 128, and we read verse 1 and 2. 1, 2, 3. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Verse number 2. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. And I want you to see the complementarity, but a slight contrast as well. Because while... Uh, the second part of um, Psalm 127 says that they labor in vain. You get up early in vain. You get up early in vain. You, you, know, you labor and, and eventually you go to sleep. Here, the last part says there is a specific group that God is speaking to. And he says to them, you will eat of the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. And so we will be uh, dwelling on this uh, today. And of course, when we come to part number three, um, may the Lord bless you. Let us pray. Father, we honor you and glorify you for the opportunity that we have to share your most holy word. We ask now that you will grant us your grace, sense of understanding, to grasp the things that you have ordained for today. Many of these things, Lord, are not new. But we ask that you refresh our hearts to an extent where, at this time, absorption capacity, assimilation, will be aided by the power of the Holy Spirit and that new foundations will be laid for your people. We ask for this precious blessing through Jesus our Lord and our Savior with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. As you are aware, we commenced a short series on family life and parenting in an age of open-ended value systems. I indicated already last week that we're not getting into completely new turf, but based on how the Lord is leading us, it's become necessary to revisit these very, very common truths, but probably repackaging them in a fashion that our interpretive abilities will 
be enhanced as we make reference to what we face today and maybe where we are headed in the very short hereafter, meaning the very short future from now. In terms of recap, I indicated the fact that um, this teaching applies to those seeking to know God's mind on the role of the family in society. Uh, this is suited for families and parents of young children in particular, and parents of teenagers, any parents and or grandparents or guardians connected to teenagers or young adults. That is a very clear case. I also indicated that this teaching definitely applies to engaged couples. So as we share, take time to invite those whom you know who can benefit. If they're not able to come, at least point them to uh, our online resources so they can be able to pick up and follow. They will be blessed. This is also applicable to expectant couples, um, meaning expecting children anytime soon. But it's also applicable to teenagers as well as young adults in general. We established last week that Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, which should be seen really in this case for the sake of this teaching as a pair, both contain timeless truths for family. And that's why today we'll be comparing uh, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 127 and verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 128. The context clearly um, referring to the pilgrims of the then time and how they journeyed to Jerusalem. They were reminded of life's uh, insecurities, but then reminded to trust in the securities that could only and blessings that would only come from God because they are gifts from God. And that is why Psalm 127, verse number one says, unless the Lord builds, those blessings are from the Lord. And we'll make more reference later. And Psalm 128 says, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience. So there's a reserved arrangement there. So it's not just about human achievements, but about what God can do for us. We indicated that these two Psalms are well-balanced stanzas in the Hebrew text, very clear, four poetic lines, each composed of um, 57 syllables, and both Psalms focused on domestic happiness. I won't dwell very much on that, but just to remind you and also to help those who may have missed the first portion. And in reading these two Psalms, family life is at the center. And it is indicated as central to the stability and fundamental to the stability that is of, um, of society. Extremely fundamental, the stability of society. And what we see and what we'll be emphasizing as we go on is that family has to be protected. Now, this we've talked about because um, it took a series, specifically in 2017, and I've had the chance to just go back to 
those truths and look at them again. And we did a seminar on, um, on, on parenting as well. And, and I look at the things that we have endeavored to teach thus far and realize that these are truths that we have to keep revisiting. The rate at which young families are coming into the church. We see these weddings that we're announcing every, every so often. There's need to go back to these foundations. But Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, uh, 12 to 14, is what we, we've referred to many times. And in particular, when you look at verse number 12, where there's a clear indication of how Nehemiah organized the, uh, the people of God at that time and began to post guards in the lowest locations where they were vulnerable as a people. We've said that is clearly symbolic of how we ought to position ourselves today and to be mindful of the areas where we are exposed as families. And that's what we're dealing with here. And that we need to post for ourselves, in this case, principles, values that become essentially the guard. When you think about Proverbs 4.23, the Lord is bringing it to my mind. The Lord talks about us guarding our hearts. For out of the heart are the issues of life. And so the aspect of guarding is important. Family must be protected. Hallelujah. Family must be protected. A stable family, we said last week, is a leadership priority and a precondition um, for leadership. It's a leadership precondition. Um, in the second service, I made reference to the fact that those of us who lead from front here and have the opportunity to utilize the pulpit to minister and teach and are at the pinnacle of leadership in the church. The conditionality for our continuation in leadership as well as for our initial entrance into leadership is strongly tied to how we manage our homes. So I said in the second service, if I fail to manage my family and properly lead my family and be the kind of husband that Pastor Gladys expects and be the kind of parent that our precious children are entitled, let me put it that way, limitedly, to have. If I fail there, I do not qualify to stand here and speak to you. Frankly speaking. To the extent that while we have structures and, um, and, and, and procedures, for, for instance, in Pentecostal Assemblies of God, Zambia, even at the level of presiding bishop, we have structures and, and, and formalities and instrumental instrumentalities and, and uh, channels and procedures that if there was failure at this level as presiding bishop, I can be removed from office. That's how serious it is. 
So my standing here must assure you that I'm not the type that will wait for something to be flogged and so somebody will say, oh, you've done wrong here, please step aside. I have to have a clear conscience in my mind that I am standing right before God, that I have fulfilled the requirement of running and managing a stable family and therefore qualifying to speak with authority to God's people and to the nations. And the crap we have today of people who hold on to title as apostles, prophets, while living adulterous lives and adulterating, fornicating, and yet picking up the Bible is absolutely nauseating, not just to us, but to God. So I can stand here with a clear conscience and let you know. Now, with God's help, I feel qualified to speak to the nations and to speak to you and to say, do as I do, because we have led by example in this area. Now, if God makes that a requirement in order for us to lead, it must let you know that a stable family is really the lifeline for society. And we can't tread this one. No negotiations on this one. We have to lay the line. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 is very clear. I didn't emphasize this in the first service, but I did in the second service. And I thought that it must come through. The pulpit needs not to be seen as something that just protects us. This is an avenue for leading and guiding so we can ensure the stability of the nations. And God is relying on you. I said, God is relying on you. This is clear to everybody. Lift up one hand and shout hallelujah. So we ask the question, what are values? What are values? The principles and standards of behavior. One's judgment of what is important in life. Individual beliefs that motivate people to act one way or another. We went through that already, so let me run quickly. They serve as a guide for human behavior. How do values affect human behavior? We answered that already. Generally, people are predisposed to adopt the values that they are raised with. And I'm suggesting here that you take very careful stock of what values are being relayed to the children that God has placed into your hands and those whom God brings into your purview, into your way. Many of you, apart from parenting your biological children, you're parenting many other young people. Do that with deliberateness, with a lot of fortitude and commitment, understanding that you're impacting generations. I may the Lord help you 
in this area in Jesus' name. People also tend to believe that those values are right because they are the values their, uh, their particular culture has allowed them to experience. So we ask the question, what are Christian values? These are values derived from the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. These are values that rest on non-negotiable biblical absolutes, and I've mentioned that already. Is, uh, is it a problem? If values are open-ended, we answered that already. Yes, it is a problem because it leaves the door open to liberalism where everything goes. And open-ended values, value systems change with time and circumstances. We talked about that. And then we highlighted two family-related issues which are top on the human rights agenda globally, and we will be referring to this again today. The redefinition of a family in light of sexual lifestyle preferences and also the renewed campaign for sexual reproductive health rights, particularly for young people. And we don't want to sound like we don't care for just understanding basic uh, sexual reproductive health, health ideals. We, you know that we care about that. But we are, we, we are very clear in saying because of the tilt of the very deliberate tilt that the world is making of the sexual reproductive health towards rights-based approaches, then we must throw in the caution. And that's where we are coming from. And we do it very consciously. Uh, the most impacted people around the world are young children and millennials. And interestingly, um, may I have my iPhone? iPhone, iPhone. This week, I, I took. Um, this week, I took a, a picture. Oops. I took a picture of, of um, an item on the news, which was kind of interesting. You notice the past two weeks, uh, this particular week, the the day that uh, uh, Facebook went down, and so on. You know that that was the day. When it went down for six hours, that was the day that, um, uh, what's the name of the lady now? If I can read, Kitch Huggy is the name of the lady. Um, she was having her hearing before uh, Congress. And let me quote from, from her. One of the things she said, this was, former Facebook employee. It's in public, public domain, so, you know. I just found it very interesting. And I hope you're watching and listening intently. But she said, and I quote, misinformation, toxicity, and violent content are inordinately prevalent among reshares, researchers noted in internal memos. So she was making reference to internal memos from within uh, Facebook. And this is their own internal research. Of course, they have their own views on, on this. But very insightful indeed. Very insightful. And, and like I promised, uh, particularly when I come to part three, I will share with you some family-based information, research by Christian psychologists that relates this directly to impact on the family. Directly. And, and this is verifiable um, uh, research in that particular area. I bring this now because of the fact that young children and millennials 
are very, very severely impacted. In fact, um, part of what's being found out in this, in this research, one of the things they recorded is the fact that uh, Instagram, for instance, um, there's a linkage to it contributing to very poor self images of the young generation, because many of them really compare themselves to the images they see. And, and that's, that's a reality. Now, is Facebook or Instagram in itself in, inherently evil? Not necessarily, but it's how we are responding. But the truth also is that when you look at the, how they set up the algorithms, the kind of information they gather from us predispositions the feedback system to really enable you to continually give, keep giving information. So it's how we respond. Now, their response is something we have control over. And this is what I want to teach about. We have control over how we respond. We're not just calling Facebook sin or Instagram sin. No, 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 not necessarily. But how we respond to this, this reality of technology now matters. And how we respond depends on the values we hold and how deliberate we are about those values. Including making conscious decisions of how much exposure you should have. You won't die without Facebook. It was down for six hours. Did you die? But definitely felt uncomfortable because of how dependent we appear to be. It ought not to be so. This is a tool in our hands. We need to simply harness it for, especially for those of, those of us who are believers, harness it really for the gospel and for the advancement of the kingdom values. Not for the unused, the undue and unhealthy gullibility that we now see, unfortunately. And it's very, very serious. So I'll bring some of that research to you. So Main Avenue, mass media, generally social media in particular, is where that impact is. And it is quite, quite serious in that particular sense. Now, last week I also made mention regarding the danger of believing a lie, and we answered that by reflecting back on Feldon's research. And we closed our time by reflecting on four responsibilities, returning to the foundations of God's word, recommitting to individual lives uh, within our ch uh, for our children and families as we recommit to, to God. We talked about recommitting godly connections uh, to godly connections in the church family. And finally, the change of mindset. Building on this one today, just so the foundation continues, a focus on shelter, security, and sustenance. That's what draws our attention um, in verse number one and two. Now, as I said earlier, these are areas that we have handled in terms of teaching. I want to draw your attention to the terminology house. The terminology house. First of all, why are we discussing shelter? We're discussing shelter because 
when we look at the terminology house, it is understood in the biblical setting in the Old Testament, and the key word by it right through the Old Testament. Normally refers to either an ordinary dwelling, we shared this in the past, or to the temple, or a place of worship in general, further, or to a family. But when there is reference to a family, the use of the terminology bayet, which is taken to trans the translated house in this particular uh, passage, specifically focuses on, if it focuses on the family, it specifically refers to the success and prosperity of the family. That's the reason why I took us to Psalm 128, 128 verse uh, 1 and 2, because there, the blessed people are uh, identified, and then the reference to their success and prosperity is mentioned, that they will have success and prosperity from their labor. So, keeping that in mind, for the sake of the teaching, while the word house, in the general sense, might refer to a temple, might refer to a general dwelling, might refer to a place of worship, in the context of this teaching, we want to emphasize its reference to family. Family. And family specifically in respect to God's desire to guarantee success and stability, success and prosperity. That's God's desire. That's why the first verse reads, unless the Lord builds, those who build, build in vain. Meaning that if he does build, success is guaranteed for you. If we allow him to build, then success is guaranteed. Now, that, beloved, is easier said than done. I can assure you. And this morning, after I laid this foundation, I want to take a few moments specifically to begin very direct prayer for families in this area. Because what has been orchestrated and planned against the family today is so diabolical, so serious, and presented so deceptively deceptively, that in one sense, if we are not aware, we could be aiding that very agenda that is meant to destroy the family. And we are determined to help awaken God's people to this ideal of receiving and accessing God's guarantee of success and prosperity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, one statement that I want us to observe very carefully, I see the writing is very small there, which we've talked about in the past, is that when we look at God as our creator, going back to Genesis, and um, chapter 1, verse 1, reading Colossians 1, verse 1, we will read these later, but let me just mention, when you look back to God as our creator, 
we need to see him as the primary, and as we've taught in the past, the primary and ultimate source of the shelter, security, and sustenance that we are focusing on in verse number one. He's the primary source. Primary source. And when we did the series on building um, a legacy for yourself and repositioning your family, I brought this statement. That this statement is universal. The statement I've just mentioned here. And it's designed to indicate a universal dependence on God. But you see, that doesn't, that doesn't come without us emphasizing more directly that there is effort to be made. And I will clarify what that sort of effort is. Many scholars read that statement as alluding in one sense to a building which may have been present on that day, that there may even have been a building that was incomplete and that the, um, the composer of this psalm was giving it as an example because it was incomplete and he was saying, you see, unless the Lord builds, those that build, build in vain. There are many commentators who believe that that could have been the case. And that's possible. And even if that was the case, the statement still remains universal in its undertaking. In the sense that it possesses this timeless value for you and I. To remember that the ultimate source of our security, to assure us security, and to shield us from the floodgate of the forces that I've just mentioned, and I will illustrate in a moment, that come against the family, we have got to build on this foundation. Unless the Lord builds. Unless the Lord watches. Again, that aspect of security. So I felt today that I should bring back to our memories something that uh, is largely being ignored today. And yet it's been there for so long. I want us to revisit Alice Bailey's 10-point plan. And there is a reason why I want us to do this. Well, you know, feel free to adjust. Everything looks okay for me here. They look rather small. So feel free to adjust and give us maybe two or three at a time or one or two at a time so people can see them. Um, You can find this on the wide world, on the, on the web, anytime. But I, I want to highlight these things today. Then I will lead us towards some applications. The 10-point plan by Alice, Alice Bailey and the New World Order. Each time this has been brought into the picture, people say, 
we, you know, we're just wanting to present propaganda. No, this is real. The entire UN agenda is set on these 10 principles. And it is serious. She projected as a purpose, number one, to change Christian tradition or to redeem the nations of Christian tradition. So, in her writings, and if you Google her interviews and, and, and read intently, a very clear agenda of saying we need to redeem the world from this Christian tradition. So one must ask the question, why? What is so threatening about this Christian agenda? That people must determine to, so to say, redeem the world from it. So, point number one in Alice Bailey's points and in her charter is to take God and prayer out of the education system. And you know that in some Western societies, that has actually been implemented. It didn't just happen. There have been specific instrumentalities coined by cartels within society, positioning individuals in policy bodies and channeling these things to school boards to the extent where in some of these Western societies, they have succeeded. They celebrate the fact that in their secular arrangement, prayer was taken out of the schools. But it didn't just happen. So to take prayer out of the education system, that's point number one. Point number two, in Alice Bailey's chapter, reduce parental authority over the children. This, this was her agenda. She wrote it. So, like I said last week, so when we, as Christian parents, see comprehensive sexuality education, we see it as a practical fulfillment of this agenda. And that is why we are determined to fight and handle and eradicate from the Zambian school system comprehensive sexuality education. That agenda we have. We have. And that's our engagement with the Minister of Education. It's been there. We've been there as Evangelical Fellowship of Zambia. We have made submissions and we will continue. The door was wide open at some point. They came in through some of these United Nations organizations. They funded some of these programs. Had workshops with a few people in Eastern Province, in uh, Chipata, and so on, with a few uh, so-called stakeholders and some selected people from some faith-based organizations that didn't understand that this agenda is actually secular. And so in their books they write, no, we consulted the church. No, 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 no. If we sit on an open agenda, we will let you know that we can't accept this. 
Because we believe, hear me, hear me, parents, because we believe that there is nothing that makes this, this, this agenda of say, comprehensive sexuality education so significant that every single subject, because in the, the way it is fashioned in the Ministry of Education curriculum today is that they have, they said to us, no, Bishop, we can't really just drop it because this thing is now integrated into all the subjects. We said, ah, that's even worse. That's even worse. What is it that is so, so significant about the sexuality of an individual that in math, in biology, well, biology, it's okay there. In fact, that's, all, that's the only place where we should learn this. But then technical drawing, agricultural science, all these areas, somehow it must be, it's now streamlined and, and integrated. Why? What's the issue? Like I said in the second service, I would even rather, like what has happened now, the, the, the new government has just created a ministry for um, small, what is it called? Ministry of Small and Medium Enterprises. You know, that's, that's a very precise response to a need. That kind of thing is good. A very precise response to a need. Why? Because small and medium industries really are the drivers of economy, of an economy. So taking that, if they said, well, no, no, we're not going to take to change the curriculum and make sure that every subject somehow uh, takes into account the idea of entrepreneurship and ah, that makes sense. Not sexuality. Not sexuality. But I want you to know that this is an agenda. And comprehensive sexuality education is framed in such a way that there's an emphasis of freedom on the young people deliberately to distance them from parental authority. And you as a parent must not accept that. I'm showing today that that is part of the 10-point plan by Alice Bailey. And unfortunately, the world has fallen to that agenda. Parents must awaken, unless the Lord builds. Are you hearing me? Point number three, destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family structure. This was an agenda, clearly, and it's part of the new world order. So what the question is we asked, why? Why? We understand it's because of secularism. The fourth point is if sex is free, then make abortion legal and make it easy. There's a struggle right now in the, in the state of Texas. It's all out in the news, where they at least put a law which would make those who uh, undertake abortions and those who aid them sort of liable. And uh, there's a battle going on. And they have something called Roe versus Wade. And America is a big uh, example because of who they are in the world and how they influence. And they've been key to the propagation of these things around the world. They run the media industry. And every single movie that's coming out now has some measure of a theme of some of these things. And like I said last week, even cartoons carry these themes. So we are at a place where we are called as believers to do more than this. If we're cutting this down and we're going to be challenging this entertainment system, then we also be, need to be thinking, what's the alternative? 
I pray that God may raise you as young entertainers and young artists. Let's see a strong Christian movie industry that can truly uh, have value-based entertainment out there, proper values. And it should be done. You young people with the prowess you have now. So that's why you shouldn't just spend your time every day on Instagram. Ha, yeah, ah, ah, ah. Use your creativity. Come on. Let God give you script upon script and blueprints. And we will help you find the funds and the monies to be able to back that so we can have a strong, value-best entertainment industry where Christians can sit back and have tasteful, value-best entertainment. Is everybody hearing? Is that good news? So you can't just be yeah, drinking this in and always saying, ah, today, 50 followers, hey, 100, hey, 3,000, hey, million, oh, 3 million hits. For what? Are the children in the house hearing the voice of God, of the Lord? Turn it around. We're relying on you. They're aiming for you. We are relying on you to turn this thing around. The fifth one is make divorce easy and legal. Free people from the concept of marriage for life. So they think we're in bondage when we think about marriage for life. Number six, let me just read through because this is not new, but I remind you, it makes more sense now than ever. Number six, make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. This was done years ago, in the 60s actually. <laughs> but very real today. Number seven, the best art, make it run mad. That's, that's, where we, that's where we're living right now, where the arts have literally gone wild. Number eight, use media to promote and change mindset. Number nine, create an interfaith movement. It's all part of the game. Now, we, I sit on some inter, interfaith um, uh, boards and and, and committees, and so on. And there are things that we can do with other religions, especially the work of peace. Right now, here in the region, I am co-chair for the uh, African Union um, uh, dialogue, interfaith dialogue platform for Southern African region. My co-chair is in South Africa, um, a lady who is in Durban. And um, so we, we interface on issues of peace, security, uh, dealing with extremism, violent extremism, uh, which causes terrorism and, and all these things around. We sit and discuss those things. Those ideas are fine. But when it comes to salvation, it's non-negotiable. There's only one mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ. There, it is non-negotiable. But you see, there are open things there. An interfaith movement, so it seems like everything goes. And the idea here is to try and acquiesce and subjugate Christianity so that it doesn't appear to be the dominant religion. Well, right now, by the numbers, it still is the dominant religion. And Islam, of course, next to that. 
Number 10, get governments to make all these laws and get the church to endorse these changes. And that is why practically when they come in and they're doing these things, these documents, they look around within the faith-based arrangement. They see sections of the church where maybe this foundation, they, they call them not, they, they choose people they call non-fundamentalists and so on. And those are the people they get. They will attend some, some, some workshop and then they will say they consulted the church because they know the voices which if they included from day one, they will say, no, 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 we're not going there. But it's a trick. That's how they work. That's how they work. So, if this is the case, if this is the case, what must we do? I want to end with Deuteronomy chapter 6 in building our foundations, returning to divine foundations. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So today, beloved, was an attempt to help lay this, this, this broad agenda in the fashion that it is. So you understand that there has been and there is a plan. And that when you admit to each of these areas, you will find that most of these broad things that they are requiring nations to undertake actually derive their policies from there. So in some cases, you won't hear, you won't see, and you won't hear the word homosexuality. You may not see it. But the word, the things, the ideals that are coming through when they propose these alternative genders and so on and, and, and the like, you will know then that what they are going to are these very same 10 points. I hope that is clear to all parents. Does that make sense? All right. Deuteronomy 6. That's where we're going to end and, and, and close. Um, so keeping in mind Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, the question of how we respond. From verse number one, these are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord God directed me to teach you. Are we together? To teach you. To observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Literally, this is our guide as God's people. This is God's foundation. This is what I'm calling us to return to. We're reteaching this so that as parents we revisit. Marriage ministry, here is good material for you now for discussions for the next many weeks. Be as practical as possible to pick up these things and discuss the real challenges you face. There's nothing, we should have nothing to hide. And let's talk about them and learn from one another. And young couples, those of you who've recently been married, uh, what I've seen here and I, when I talk to other pastors, I hear that this is the same, is that Young marrieds don't immediately seem to plug into the, say, the marriage ministry. It's like you're on this honeymoon business for, for so long. No. Two, three weeks away from church is fine. Come back quickly. Third Sunday of this month is the Sunday for the marriage. As a newly married, even if you are two weeks old in marriage, 
you should be looking forward to that first marriage ministry. Hi, James. Seriously, I, I, here in the church, I want to specifically address this. What is it? What are you honeymooning about? This thing is serious. No, this thing is serious. You've got to prepare. There are years of experience among your uh, elder brothers and uncles and, and daddies and mommies here. You want to key in. The counseling you got as premaritally uh, positioned material will now make more sense when you sit with those who are actually in marriage and they're now beginning to talk about the things they have experienced. Very important. So these are the things. Verse 2. So that you and your children, so even children who are not yet born, there's a projection in the future. So you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. How? By keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you. How and why? I like the last part. How and why? So that you may enjoy long life. I may long life be your portion. But that long life has to be enjoyed. And it can only be enjoyed around this thing. The foundation of God. Many people are so disillusioned about marriage today because they've thrown away these principles and marriage may not seem to be lasting as long as they want it to. But I've showed you from Feldon's research that even though they want to portray that, marriage doesn't really work. Remember, it's all couched material meant to give people this predisposition that you can't trust marriage, you can't trust men, you can't trust women, you're better off living in, in short-term, non-committal type of arrangements, uh, short but sweet, short but sweet, short but sweet, and sin is pleasurable. So those enjoying the, those, those relationships uh, which are in stolen waters, illicit affairs, yeah, they enjoy them, and they may be sweet for a while, and that's why they like to keep them short so they can have variety, and so on. But no commitment. But marriage is a lifelong commitment. Family life calls for lifelong commitments. And I want to let you know that it is enjoyable. It is enjoyable. Those who say it is not want to crowd you. And I've shown you from Feldon's research that the story is better than that. More marriages are happier than those that they tend to project otherwise. There are more marriages that are happy than those that are unhappy. We've seen that research. And we've also seen that church attendance once a week alone makes a huge difference of somewhere between 25 or to upper 37 to 50% on the side of being happier. Just one. Is that good news? Give it up for Jesus. So we can enjoy life. That you may enjoy long life. That was the, the Feldon's research right there. This Atlanta-based couple often quoted in their writings and at conferences what they thought was accurate research that most marriages are unhappy and 50% of them end in divorce even in the church. That they discovered later on when they did their own research that this was not true. 
But they had been doing it for a while. And do not believe that lie. There are many, many godly parents, even right here, and godly families that are enjoying life. And we are in that number. Hallelujah. No, but I want to let you know, it's possible. It can be done. Let's quickly, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Let's, let's, let's quickly read. It's done. It can be done. So I've come to speak hope to you. Receive it in Jesus' name. I said, receive it in Jesus' name. All right. Verse number three. Hear, O Israel, O Zambia, O North Me. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. So people have things not going on because they're not obeying. It's that simple. If we obey, it will go well. So that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. I want us to build hope. Change your mind about this. This thing is doable. I want you to believe that when God says you must obey him and follow his commands, it is doable. A happy life in family and marriage is possible now. May it be your portion in Jesus' name. I said, may it be your portion in Jesus' name. Hear the Lord, O Israel. Verse number four. The Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your strength. These commands I give you today should be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I'll be unpacking this in the coming weeks. When you see Deuteronomy 6, and you come to Psalm 127, and you hear, unless the Lord builds, they build in vain. Those who build, you understand. God is building you. God is standing watch over your family. Alice Bailey's agenda uh, will not have the better side of you. No. In the name of Jesus, no. In the name of Jesus, no. In the name of Jesus, no. You will succeed. Now you may be saying, Bishop, you don't know. We've made mistakes. It's okay. We'll deal with those things. We'll talk about those things. The issue is not how many mistakes you have made. The issue is how determined are you to apply what the word is saying. Uh, let's go to Psalm 128 and close with and, and, and use that, um, that passage as part of the closing here. To back up Deuteronomy. So, it says, blessed. We've been told in Deuteronomy that we need to fear the Lord, follow him, keep his command. Are we together? And look at this. Blessed. Everybody say? Blessed. This is for you, beloved. Blessed. Are all. 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 
Amen. Do you understand that? Oh, so I can believe God for everybody here. As sons and daughters of the house. We want to deliver according to what the Lord says. To deliver everyone whole without spot or wrinkle. That's the idea of that benediction. Deliver everyone under our care whole without step, without spot or wrinkle. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Who walk in obedience. That's what Deuteronomy was asking for. Obey the Lord. So who walk in obedience? Verse number two. Here's the guarantee. You. Tell your neighbor, say, you. 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 If you know their name, mention their name. Uh-huh. You will eat of the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. This is talking about security. This is talking about shelter, security, and prosperity. Today, I felt the Lord direct me and impress me strongly to pray for the restoration of broken relationships. Families where you've given up on each other. Husband and wife are not seeing eye to eye. Children have gone east, west, south. And you're wondering, are we ever going to come back together? We are believing God for your restoration. We are believing God for your healing. And if you've made mistakes, do not worry. God sees the fact that you're in church today and you're listening to this message, even remotely, the fact that you've tuned in for these hours we've been preaching shows that there's some hope inside you. There is a desire. God is on your side. He does not look lightly at your thirst and your desire to live right. He will help you. And I want us to stand on this promise today. May I ask you all to please rise. Choir, please come. So what must we do? Return to divine foundations.